So thank you, Angus. Thank you, Angus. Um, that's a testimony of what it means to be abide. And we've been looking at what does it mean to abide in me? And we saw last week that to abide in Christ, we start abiding as born-again believers, as the new creation when we are grafted into the vine. At the point of our adoption, our salvation, you're abiding. You're abiding now. And then as that branch is permanently in the vine, we saw that it's drawing nutrients from the vine to be fruitful, to bear the grape cluster. And it's in that drawing the nutrients that we would see the words of Christ. This word, the Bible, come into our life for fruitfulness. And it's also in that relationship with Christ, that union that we have with Christ, that we begin to pray. And we pray because our heart and our mind, our desires, our, our mind is becoming like the very mind of Christ. Now that's where we're going. Let's tease it out from the Scriptures. Look at verse 7. He says that if you're abiding in Christ, then His words are going to be abiding in you. And I want you to think of abiding in Christ is not simply a Sunday morning experience. That Of course, we're abiding in Christ now as we're gathered in worship. But it's every moment. If you're a Christian this morning, there, you're, you have a moment-by-moment moment relationship with Him. Another way to look at a union with Christ is this way. You're married to Christ. And you live in his home. That word for abide, it can mean remain. But it can also mean home. You might remember in the Gospels when the first disciples, uh, Andrew, for instance, met Christ, he said, where do you abide? Where is your home? Where do you dwell? So think about this picture this morning. If you're a Christian, you're living in a relationship like marriage in a home with Christ. And in that home, there's going to be conversations. And in that marriage, those two hearts are going to become more and more alike. Wendy and I celebrated another anniversary in July. And we have been married so long that we're even beyond uh, the across from one another at a dinner party where it's like, we don't even have to do sign language to leave anymore. We don't have to kind of, I mean, it's like mental telepathy. We can just kind of look across and you just, it's time to go. Because her desires have morphed in to my desires and my desires have morphed in to her desires as we have like the points of a triangle we've come closer and closer together 
that we're in unity of thinking. Brian Chappell has written a book on marriage, and it's called Each for the Other. Matt Chandler wrote a book on marriage, and it's called The Commingling of Souls. And that's what happens in a marriage, that we begin to spend time in conversation, we share our fears, we share our dreams, and we become in that relationship so intimate that they're common. To live selfishly in your own way all the time and only your dreams and only your desires is to not have an intimate relationship or marriage. Jesus Christ describes here how this happens. How do we come to conform that branch to the vine so that they look seamless? Now, a vine dresser in a vineyard can tell because that, that vine coming up out of the root system, that coming out, is so old and, and ancient. And it's an ancient vine and it's, it's very, very large. And you can tell the new branches coming off of it. But to the common person, it's all one. The branches are an expression of the vine, and the fruit is an expression of the vine through the branches. And one of those fruits, he says, is that we would pray. In verse 7, he says, If my words abide in you, then you can ask anything that you wish, and it will be done for you. I grew up, because I'm an old guy, I grew up, watching I Dream of Genie, And it was a couple of astronauts in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And one of them, on one of his trips, his capsule on a deserted aisle, he found a bottle with a genie in it. And this female genie that he called Genie, they were always getting in trouble because the wishes were not answered as they were asked. So the astronaut who was her master said, Don't ask any wishes. You don't want the answer. And she was always getting in trouble by saying, Oh, I think he would like, my master would like this. And it would be something that would not meet his real desire or need. Jesus Christ is not saying, I'm a genie in a bottle here. What he's saying is, When you abide in me and my words are active in you, then your mind and your heart in a love relationship with me are going to to change so much that you see things the way I see things. You begin to see your sin the way I see your sin. You begin to see forgiveness as I see forgiveness. You begin to see material possessions the way I see material possessions. You begin to see your, your trials the way I begin to see things and it's out of that it bubbles up out of this intimate relationship like two lovers you must speak to one another you can't help but prayer becomes the fruit out of our truly abiding in the home in a love relationship with Jesus Christ first John chapter 2 verse 23 I'll just read verse 24 Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Now imagine you're a disciple. You're a disciple, one of the first disciples of Christ. 
Those, those words, walking with Jesus, the rabbi, those words that he spoke, we have them recorded. Let them abide in you. And if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. If my words, if my, if my words are in you, then they will cause you to grow in abiding in intimacy with God the Father through the Holy Spirit. We see this in Romans. Paul gets at this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's a process here. So when, when, we're, when we're given this great, great promise, ask anything that you wish and I will give it. We need to recognize that there are many things that we may wish, but we ask for things selfishly. We don't ask for things given that we're in a relationship, married, in the home with Christ. In James chapter 4, verse 3, James, the brother of Christ, explains why many of our prayers go unanswered. You ask, so you're praying, and you do not receive. What's wrong with the promise? I ask anything you wish, and I'm going to answer it. He says you ask, but you don't receive. What's, work, what's not working? Because you ask wrongly. Well, what's wrong asking? What's a wrong asking for things that I wish for? He says, to spend it on your passions. To spend it on your passions. To spend it selfishly, not selflessly. Melissa Kruger was uh, Casey Washington's mentor. And our ladies, in a number of months ago, in their wild group, went through one of her books, The Envy of Eve. And when I started my sabbatical in Scotland, very first day in my journal, I had three prayer requests. And the very first prayer request was, Lord, I'm discontent. I'm very unhappy with my circumstances. And I have come to see that I'm unhappy and I'm unhappy in my circumstances because I'm filled, I'm filled to the eyeballs with coveting. Now, I haven't gotten over that. A sabbatical seven weeks is not going to solve all my sins, okay? I mean, I still go past a church building and say, Lord, I want that church building! I still look at other ministries and ministers and say, Oh, if I were just like that. I still go on to Facebook and I look at a family's vacation and they're always perfectly poised and all the kids are perfectly happy. And I'm like, it's never quite that way with us. I look at the, 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 the new design of their home or a room or the, the meals that they're eating out at a restaurant. They take the picture of the food and, and all of a sudden there it is again. 
And I ask God for that. God, I want that house. God, I want that food. God, I want that kind of vacation. But I don't get that. Melissa Kruger says that there's three signs that your wishes are really your passions. Number one, you're willing to use energy, resources, and talents in sinful ways to procure what you want. You might steal. You might spend just the energy of fantasy, fantasizing after someone else's mate or relationship or life. But you give energy to it. You give time to it. Maybe you scheme for it. Secondly, you play the comparison game all the time. And in playing the comparison game, you're saying, they don't deserve that. I deserve this. God, why are you giving that to them and not to me? And it gets to the point where we say, God, you're not a very good Lord to me. And at heart of that is a sense of entitlement. I deserve it. Comparison. And then here was my great, great symptom. We find ourselves impatient, unloving, and oh so ungrateful for what we do have as we wait for what we covet. Thinking that what we covet will truly meet our real heart's desire or our wishes. What's the cure? What's the cure for discontent? What's the cure for a coveting heart? What's the cure that seems to be so full of wishes and desires? Jesus says, let my words remain in you. And I want to end with two applications. I want you to read your Bible and I want you to pray. So many sermons end that way. I know, but I, I want to tell you that what Jesus has in mind is what A.W. Tozer said in the pursuit of God. If you would follow on to know the Lord. In other words, in this love relationship in the home with Jesus, I believe very soon you're going to be, if you're abiding in Christ as a new creature in Him, growing in your relationship with Him, very soon you're going to say, I want to know you more. I want to know more about you. I want, I want greater intimacy with you. I've begun this relationship. Now I want to mature in this relationship. If you would follow on to know the Lord, come at once to the open Bible, expecting it to speak to you. Do not come with the notion that it is a thing which you may push around at your own convenience. It is more than a thing. It is a voice, a word, the very word of the living God. This is not, we know our theology, we know our Bible history. We know that once upon a time that God spoke. He spoke to the prophets. He, he spoke to His people. He spoke. And they were recorded. And that's where we tend to leave it. But that's not so. That's a false notion. 
Because he continues to speak. It's a living word. This is a, an ancient document to be sure, but it's not, uh, it's not a historical record. It's a living word. It continues to speak. It's not simply God. we're overhearing God speak to other people, but he's speaking continually to us. Approach it as a living thing. Particularly if you're a college student. Carve out the time. Carve out the time for a daily opportunity to take up and read. Hear Angus. He began, though he had it on a nightstand, he didn't cast it away in the bin. It began with God's Word. Giving, treating, hearing God begin to speak out of this. Those words in us begin to transform us. And they transform our wishes, our prayers, our desires. And secondly, I want you to see that we are to pray. We are to ask. He says, ask. And he says also that when you ask and you ask me, it brings glory to God. John Calvin said this, Prayer is a communication between God and us whereby we expound to Him our desires, our joys, our sighs in a world, all the thoughts of our hearts. I like to think about it as a laundry pile. You know, you get the laundry out of the dryer. And it's all mixed up. There's a sock on top and there's a washcloth on bottom. Well, if you do laundry like I do, you have colors mixed with, and you got cottons with synthetics. That's why in my house I'm forbidden. It's foreboding for me to do laundry. And I like to do it. Isn't that an odd thing? I like to do it. So if you pull, pull Phil Stogner's laundry out of the dryer, you're going to have all assortment of clothes. You put them onto the bed to fold them, and that's where you begin to sort them. Here are the things, but I bring it all in prayer. I bring my anxieties. I bring my fears. I bring my dreams. I bring my desires. And yes, some of them are for my passions. But Christ sorts them out. He says, bring them. And let me sort them out. And he does. Do you pray? Do you pray? Do you fear sometimes to pray what you really wish for? Don't be afraid. Bring it to Christ. Let Him sort it out. He's given us an incentive in verse 9. I, he says, as the Father loved me, so have I loved you. When I'm, when I'm going and I'm preparing for the message each week, I always look in that text, I always look, where's the good news? Where's the gospel? What is it that would motivate me to, to spend time with a living word? That this Bible, as Martin Luther said, it, it has hands and it embraces me. It has feet and it walks into my, my life. It speaks to my mind and it changes my mind. And when I pray to have confidence 
that Jesus Christ, who invited me to pray and to pray in His name, as He said in John 14, verse 13, that when I come, come in His person. Come in His authority. Jesus, God the Father will hear my prayers in the person of Christ. Just as He would hear Jesus, He will hear me now. What gives me a motivation to sit under His Word as a living thing and to pray to Him? It's the Gospel. And it's in verse 9. He says, Just like the Father loves me and I love the Father, I want you to experience that same love. It's the one thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt everybody in this room wants. I know what your greatest desire is. I know what your greatest wish is because it's the same with me. I desire to be loved. I desire not only to be loved, but not a poser or a pretender. I desire to be completely known. Completely known. Completely vulnerable and yet safe because I'm loved. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm God. I'm the Son of God. I know you. I know you through the pose or, or through the share. I know you completely and I love you. I have put my love for you. And that's the one that speaks to us from His Word and grows us in our relationship and grows us so that our mind becomes like His mind and our heart becomes like His heart. And He says, every one of those wishes, my wishes now become my lover's wishes. My selfish passions and desires begin to diminish as I begin to feed myself on selfless desires for Him. This table reminds us again of the measure and the extent of His love. That on the night that He was betrayed, Jesus Christ took bread. And when He broke it in front of His disciples, He said, this bread represents My body which is broken in your place. Eat this, and every time you do so, remember this. His body, broken in my place, dying for me out of His fierce love. And in the same manner, after supper, the Lord Jesus Christ took the cup and He said, this cup represents my shed blood poured out for you for the remission or washing away of all of your sin. Everything's washed away. I can hear you. You can pray with confidence that the Father will hear you and answer by the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you celebrate my death on your behalf until I return. And it's a promise that He will. And when He returns, He'll find us abiding in Him. He'll find us more the sons and daughters Bearing His image because His words are in us. Shaping our life. Shaping our passions for Him. He'll find us and He'll be no stranger. Having prayed to Him and spoken with Him. And He to us often. And having feasted with Him at this table. I want to invite our men to come forward now as they prepare to serve us.